Thanks for listening to our Church in the City podcast. In our series, Unto All, The Sending and Saving Heart of God in Jonah, we're unpacking God's intentional partnership with His people to outwork His desire for everyone to come to know Him and discovering that no one is left unimpacted. So turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3 or scroll in your phone. I'm going to trust for an impactful time this morning. I'm going to trust for us to have um, an in-the-moment mind. I, I, I confess that sometimes when I preach, I kind of get going downhill. Not that you guys have ever noticed that. Um, I kind of get on a roll, and, and I, one of the things that the Lord has really convicted my heart of is to have, have an open ear to him, even in the midst of our time like this together, and say, we're family, you know? And Ken, if the Lord gives me something for you, I want to be present in the moment enough to hear him and to say it. So let's trust for that kind of time together. As you're turning to Jonah chapter 3, we're going to continue the saga, the drama, the sometimes messy drama of Jonah, most of the time messy. We've left Jonah in some pretty precarious places as we've waited for the next Sunday for the story to continue. That's Jonah's fault that he's in those situations, not ours. Uh, it's totally up to him. So I want to encapsulate briefly just where we are really quickly uh, in, the, in the course of our year and in the course of Jonah. Remember, as a family, we've been studying together something that God has laid on our hearts for this calendar year. And that is this, this thing of fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command. The Great Commission, which has always been at work through Scripture, but that Jesus declared clearly at the end of the, of the book of Matthew, where he says, Go into all the world, make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And by the way, I'm with you to the end of the age. That's the great commission that's always been active in God's heart for his people. And the greatest command, as Jesus was asked, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And oh, by the way, there's a second part, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. In short, to love God and love people. And that is, in this, in this phrase of fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying the greatest command, we've, we've really been challenging ourselves, I would say, to have God's understanding of God, that is, that he is God, he is Lord, he's king, he's just, he's absolute, he's loving, that's his character, and to have God's understanding of people. God's understanding of the church and his partnering with us in our mission. God's understanding of the lost and his heart to go after them. So in terms of studying Jonah, we find ourselves, just just to remind ourselves as we're in the book of Jonah, we find ourselves in the Old Testament. And that's okay because the Great Commission has always been a part of God's heart. It's always been going on. And in the Old Testament, God is revealing himself, revealing his character through his chosen people, the nation of Israel. And he's building all of history and all that God is doing is building toward the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Savior to all. Mankind, which has always been something that God had promised to Israel, that from them they would be a blessing to all the world. And in Jonah, within the Old Testament, we know we're in a prophetic book. And remember that we, we know Jonah is a prophet, not only because of the voice he takes in Jonah, but we know Jonah's mentioned elsewhere in the Old Testament as a prophet. So we can move confidently in this book, knowing that we should be able to look for prophetic things. And what is the function of a prophet? A prophet brings the message of God to his people. We see that phrase often in the prophetic books. The word of the Lord came unto. 
And remember, we've said that never means a small thing. That's always a part where our ears should perk up. The word of the Lord has come unto. The prophet is God's mouthpiece. He is to remind God's people of God's holiness and his covenant with them. The prophet is to remind God's people or to warn God's people of coming destruction if they continue to walk away and disobey God. It's to remind God's people of God's love for them, even if he has to bring destruction, even if he's got to get their attention. The prophet functions as God's mouthpiece to remind his people that God is a loving, delivering God and that he will ultimately never forsake them. So in a sense, the prophet says, I implore you, turn or return to God. Now, in addition to being a prophetic voice, Jonah, as we know, is a story. There's a narrative voice in here. And what do we mean when we say story? Let's just remind our hearts, because story doesn't mean fiction. Story, in, in this sense, in the biblical sense, means a series of true events through which God is revealing himself and his character. A series of true events through which God reveals his character. So, so we've got to get our story muscle flexing again. We've got to open our eyes to the happenings of what's going on. We've got to ask deeply about what God is revealing about his character. And we need to turn our lives in light of what God is revealing to what he's saying. And I just want to say, especially in, in, in the Old Testament, let's not overcomplicate it. How many of you ever find yourself maybe overcomplicating scripture a little bit? For the most part, welcome to hermeneutics class, interpretation. If God seems like he's saying it, he's probably saying it. (laughs) And we laugh, but man, I get myself in trouble all the time. So that's where we are in the scope of our year. So where are we? Where did we leave Jonah? We've asked that question. Well, we've left him in some pretty tough places. um, And he's not in a good place right now. He's in a fish covered in vomit. Welcome to church in the city. (laughs) How did he get there? How did Jonah get there? Well, the short answer is we know Jonah has been running away from God. We know that from chapter 1, right at the top of the book, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And what did God say? He said, go to Nineveh. This was a disastrous word for Jonah because Nineveh was not a good place. It was especially not a good place for an Israelite because they were enemies. And God said, go to Nineveh and preach against it. And remember, we talked about that phrase, preach against it. The heart of God for that phrase is not go and let Nineveh know that I'm about to drop the hammer and then leave. No, the phrase preach against it means go to Nineveh and say, there is destruction coming, but repentance is on the table. Because I am a God who delivers. I am a God whose desire it is to save. Please go let Nineveh know that, would you please, Jonah? Because their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah's response, thanks but no thanks. He runs away. He's got lots of reasons, one of which is, of course, that Nineveh is in Assyria, which is a huge enemy of Israel. They're growing in might. They're eventually going to conquer Israel. It's a dangerous journey, so he's got, he's got fearful reasons. But Jonah's also got rather selfish reasons, because, dadgummit, Israel's the people of God, and I don't really want God's grace to go to Nineveh, thank you very much. And remember, we talked about that if, if God was sending Jonah to Nineveh to just go and bring a message of destruction and then get out, I kind of think Jonah would go because that would kind of be delicious to deliver to your worst enemy, wouldn't it? God's going to nail you. Peace. That's not God's heart. So Jonah takes his time and takes his money and takes his planning and he invests it in running from God. He finds a ship in another city pays the fare, gets on board, and he starts to sail towards the other end of the known world to a city called Tarshish. 
in the south of Spain. And they didn't know what was beyond that across the Atlantic. And what does God do? God sends a great storm. God's getting Jonah's attention. And all the sailors on the ship are frightened, rightfully so, because they can't beat this storm no matter how hard they try. And through a series of events, it comes out that Jonah has dishonored God and they cast lots and God works even through whatever means we're trying. And Jonah says, you got to throw me overboard to mitigate what God is wanting to do. And I'm the reason. And they do it. They throw him overboard and God does relent. And the sea is calm again. And the sailors are so moved that God would relent and move in this miracle and that in the display of the power of Jonah's God, Yahweh, that they disavow their gods and they make sacrifices and vows to Jonah's God. Probably Jonah's like 30 yards away in the calm sea. (laughs) So even in Jonah's disobedience, the work of God is going forth. But God... But Jonah doesn't have a share in that glory right now, does he? Because he's disobeying and he's actively running from God. And in in verse 17 of chapter 1, where Mark started us last week, it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's my life verse right there. Just, you know, tattoo it. (laughs) Jonah was in the belly of the fish. That's where we left Jonah with Mark last week as he preached. And all the drama, all the saga, all the intrigue of the book of Jonah, to me, is careening towards one essential question. And that is this. Will Jonah obey God? Will Jonah obey God? Because the answer to that question has driven the story up to this point, has it not? So will Jonah obey God? The answer's been no so far. And Jonah has actively disobeyed, as we've seen, he's invested his time and his resources into running from God. But by grace, by the grace of God, the answer to the question, will Jonah obey God, can still be yes. Can actually still be yes. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, Jonah could be at the bottom of the Mediterranean right now. But God provided a big fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. We're already seeing aspects of the gracious wooing back gentle restoring character of God that Jonah as a prophet knows so well because it's the message he always proclaims and God is unchanging in his character so I want to explore today with this question of will Jonah obey God just what exactly is on the other side of obedience what's on the other side if Jonah were to obey God what happens next on the other side of obedience. And this question of, of what's on the other side of obedience is critical. It's not, it's not just critical for Jonah, although it is, because God has called him to obey. And Jonah's disobedience is quite honestly reaping some pretty significant results in Jonah's life and others. Imagine what Jonah's obedience would reap. It's a critical question for Jonah. But it's also a critical question, what's on the other side of obedience. It's a critical question for Nineveh. Where, we all, where, where, God, where the word of the Lord started here. Now, Nineveh is unknowingly yearning for Jonah's long-awaited obedience to God. They don't know it. They don't know they're yearning for it. Why? They're lost. <laughs> they're lost. They don't know they're yearning for God. 
But if they did know everything and they could see the whole picture, they would cry out for Jonah, who does know God, to just obey God and come. They're waiting, Nineveh is, on the other side of God's, of Jonah's obedience to God. And for Nineveh, everything hangs in the balance. If Jonah was a miniseries, this would be a season finale. Jonah's in the whale. Nineveh's hanging in the balance. I can't wait for season three. (laughs) But I think we can admit and be okay with there's drama and intrigue here. We have seen that Jonah has the prerogative to disobey God. He can make that decision, and he has. And he may continue to make it. And there will be consequences, not just for Jonah, but for the lost. And that's weighty. That's weighty. So I want to submit to you that as Jonah sits in the fish, and while Jonah's in a fish, Nineveh's in a far worse place. As Jonah sits in the fish, Jonah is, is on what I want to call the before side of obedience. Jonah's on the before side of obedience. And what happens there on the, on the before side? Well, what will you know? We start off with the book with Jonah hearing God. And Jonah hears God clearly because God speaks clearly. And the choice is Jonah's, and Jonah has disobeyed. And he's sitting, wrestling, wondering, realizing, admitting who God is in the belly of this fish. Not a dictator, but all-powerful. And all through chapter 2, as Mark preached, right there in the fish, Jonah, a disobedient prophet of God, ultimately, I think, does two things. Firstly, on the before side of obedience, Jonah reacquaints himself with the truth, power, and love of God's character. He reacquaints himself with God's character because he hasn't been functioning off of it up to this point. And in chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, I'm not going to dwell here long because Mark did such a great job last week. But Jonah says, when my life was ebbing away, he's speaking inside a fish, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love to them. Jonah's heart remembers not just what God said, but who God is. He's reacquainting himself. And now there's an accurate context for Jonah to realize his disobedience. That he hasn't just disobeyed a command, he's disobeyed God himself. And there starts to be this activation of the mercy of God in Jonah's heart as we see in verse 9 of chapter 2. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. And what I vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. See, not only has Jonah on the before side of obedience had to reacquaint himself with God's character, Jonah ultimately needs to surrender to God. There has to be surrender. And what is surrender? Surrender, in this case, is an admission of who exactly is sovereign. That's what surrender is. Jonah has to admit, God, you're sovereign. This surrender is a mutual decision of whose will will actually be done. That's what surrender is. If I surrender to you, I'm saying, Neil, your will be done. I surrender. I'm at your mercy. And that's what Jonah does here. And immediately, instantly, one verse later, at the end of chapter 2, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. It's as if God's saying, we're back. And we're back. We can start season 3. So let's pick up Jonah chapter 3. Let's take a look at the first four verses 
And just remember that as Jonah has come from the before side of obedience, what's going on? Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed. What? Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. We're not on the before side of obedience anymore. Now, Jonah is stepping into the midst of obedience. He's actively beginning to obey God. This is a, this is a huge corner in this book, in Jonah's heart, that we're turning. So what's happening? Let's just unpack it a little bit really quickly. Verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This is the supreme grace of God, is it not? A second time? This is the absolute faithfulness and patience and gentleness of God. This is God saying, actually, Jonah, yes, I will repeat myself. (laughs) God's grace is all over Jonah. Whether it's a stormy ship, a stinky belly of a fish, or speaking a second time. And God is walking Jonah, remember, gently back into his function as a prophet because that is what our God is. He is a gentle, restoring God. He is looking to deliver. And verse 2 says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. You know, interestingly, this is the second time God has called the city of Nineveh great. I'm just struck by that. This is just for free. I don't think this is a statement of God being impressed with Nineveh. Wow, look at that cool city that mankind has built. I am really, truly in awe. No, he's God. But I will say that I think it means that God's work carries great significance. And God recognizes the impact of his own heart going after the lost. And God goes after the lostest of the lost, even the great city of Nineveh. And that's not lost on God. And he knows what he's asking Jonah to do. God's heart is always for the lost. And it's interesting that God says, proclaim to it the message I will give you. It's God's message. He's not asking Jonah to think it up. He never has. It's God's message. And Jonah knows this as a prophet. And let's remind ourselves to function in this way too. We know God's message. Do we not? What a challenge for us as a church to function on that. To be carriers of God's message. God has spoken. And it was the same way for Jonah. You guys okay? We all right? You jet lagged? Verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Why do we say that? Well, remember, remember, nothing's changed for Jonah in how dangerous this actually is. Nineveh is still Nineveh. It's still the capital of Assyria. Assyria is still the the dominant empire in in the time and region. They're still vicious. They're still a conquering machine. They've steamrolled every nation, people, city, king, everything. They're expanding. They are literally the... They're the wrecking ball of the day. And Nineveh's the capital. And Assyria is also the most vicious empire this part of the world has ever seen. They knowingly use excessive violence... Nate shared two weeks ago, they were the terrorists. And Nineveh's the capital. And this is dangerous. Because, you know, another really fun fact is, their capital city is so big, it takes three awesome days to go through it. Who's up for a weekend trip to Nineveh? (laughs) It's not safe. But Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. 
Because Jonah's in the midst of obedience. In the midst of obedience, Jonah's, Jonah's obeying can be worked out with boldness. Jonah's obedience can be worked out with boldness. Why? Jonah has surrendered to God. It means he's decided whose will will be done. That's finished. Jonah's operating now because he surrendered. He's operating now in the midst of a trust and a leaning on God's might, God's power, and God's protection. He's not leaning on worldly factors. And the worldly factors, let's be honest, are skewed in a pretty dangerous direction. But Jonah's operating in, on God's prerogative. This is the only context in which Jonah can truly proclaim all of God's message to operate this way. And what is that message? It's the same as it's always been. Verse 4, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. A fun message <laughs> to give to your worst enemy a day into their city. These are not the only eight words that Jonah said. I would venture to guess. And how do we know that? Because we know Jonah is a prophet. We know Jonah's message all the time. Turn away from the coming destruction. Turn back to God. Turn to God. Avoid destruction. Repentance is on the table. God's salvation is swift. Because in the midst of, ob of, of obedience for Jonah, we need to remember God has provided the message to declare. God has provided it. And here's a question. What's the great city of Nineveh's response to this message? You kind of like buckle in your seatbelt and like, man, what's going to happen to Jonah <laughs> as he goes? We'll look at first four words of verse five. The Ninevites believed God. What? Really? Is it? Is it just that simple and miraculous? I mean, because this was kind of building with drama and now it's like in four, where the Ninevites believe God? Is it really that simple? Yes. Salvation is that simple. Can we celebrate that for a second church? It's really, it's, it's as slippery as it sounds. I wish it was more complicated. Let's look at the difference. In chapter one, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Verse three, but Jonah runs away from the Lord. Verse four, the Lord sends a great storm. In chapter three, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Verse three, Jonah obeys. Verse five, the Ninevites believe God. What? What a difference a fish makes. Wait a minute, Jonah. Now, what's interesting to me is Jonah proclaims, the Ninevites, it doesn't say believe Jonah. It says the Ninevites believe God. Because Jonah is proclaiming whose message? God's. Who's surrendered? Jonah is to God. Whose will will be done? God's. We've agreed on that. Jonah's obeying. He's in the midst of obedience. The, literally, the book of Jonah could be four verses. Verse 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Verse 2, go to Nineveh and preach against it and preach what I tell you. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed God. Verse 4, the Ninevites believe God. Let's move on to Micah. This could be Jonah. It's a little more interesting, a little more fun to preach this way, but, but that could be the book of Jonah. But now Jonah has obeyed and Nineveh has believed. What? And we're not in, just in the midst of obedience anymore. We're starting to see that Jonah is on the other side of obedience where Nineveh has been waiting. Not for Jonah, 
but for God's message through Jonah. We're on the other side of obedience where God's salvation is available and repentance is on the table. Because I want to say to you, on the other side of obedience, on the other side of our obedience, of Jonah's obedience, God's message comes in power and the lost can believe. God's message comes in power and the lost can believe. This is the best four words in the book. The Ninevites believed God. Isn't that amazing? It is to me. Sorry, I'm not yelling at you. I'm just excited. I'm really into season three. <laughs> let's, let's continue reading in Jonah chapter three. Let's pick it up in verse five. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, listen to this, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation that he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. It was a good day in Nineveh if you were in the sackcloth business. (laughs) Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Listen, who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. This is a pagan king. This is a pagan king saying, "Who, who knows? God may yet relent. We need to repent. Let's be amazed for a second at Nineveh. Let's wish for a second Jonah had obeyed like Nineveh had obeyed. (laughs) You see, on the other side of obedience, God's power leads to repentance and radical salvation. Period. Period. Look at the radical repentance of the king of of Nineveh. I love how it's kind of enumerated here in in verses 5 and 6. It says, A fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And listen to, to what the king does. When Jonah's warning reached the king, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he made a proclamation. Now contrast that with Jonah back in chapter 1, who ran away from the Lord, went to Joppa, found a ship headed for Tarshish, bought the fare, boarded the ship, and sailed. That's the before side of obedience. Choreography. (laughs) But look at the king of Nineveh. His, 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 His obedience is enumerated with detail. This is not Jonah's power. This is not Jonah's power. This is God's prerogative to move in might and power. He is mighty to save. And we as believers today are witnessing in Nineveh mighty, mighty salvation break out. Nothing less. That's what's happening right here. And imagine Jonah in the midst of this, witnessing all this. Can you just imagine where he's just, I don't know what he's thinking. He's just like, this is unreal. This is the most unlikely place for salvation to break out ever. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah to go. And we're on the other side of obedience now. This is all hands on deck repentance in Nineveh. The king even proclaims it. Don't let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. And he says, who knows? God may yet relent. 
with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. This is the birth cry of salvation that was the same then as it is today. This is a deep and sudden realization of separation from God. This is an arresting yearning for God's mercy and salvation and the result of calling urgently on him for salvation. And it's still the same today because the lost are still lost. The lost are still lost. And the good news is God is still mighty to save. God is still mighty to save. He is still out to seek and save the lost. He is still not willing that any should perish. That character never changes. And can I just say, what we're seeing in Nineveh, it encourages my heart so much because Jesus Christ is the longing of the nations. Jesus Christ is the longing of the nations. What do I mean by that? I mean Nineveh was yearning, yearning for God's salvation. And they could not have termed it that way because they're lost. They're lost. They're not going to be able to articulate it. And it's the same today with the nations crying out for the salvation of Jesus. And they can't articulate it that way. We need to not depend on them to articulate it. Jesus Christ is the longing of the nations. And by God's power, I want to say, the church can expect with faith for people to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. We can stand in faith to expect that of God's mighty move of salvation and power. And then we, like Jonah, can stand in the midst of wherever, be it Nineveh, town square, restaurant, school, wherever, and marvel at the work of God's mighty arm of salvation. Because just like Nineveh is yearning for Jonah, who's yearning for us on the other side of our obedience? Who's yearning for us? And what does God do? The last verse of chapter 3. We're almost done. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. We've repeated this over and over. Our God is a delivering God who is mighty to save and whose heart is to save. Our God is a delivering God. And finally, on the other side of obedience, God's salvation is swift. And boy, does it leave the believer redeemed and changed forever. You, me, Nineveh, you name it, God is mighty to save. And I love that we get to witness it here right smack dab in the middle of the Old Testament. I want to invite Shonda to come back up for just a moment. And we're going to have just a time of worship for, for just a minute. But I, as she does, I just want to ask a question. You know, we, we've been saying to ourselves kind of each, each Sunday, we start with, where are we in Jonah? Where have we left Jonah? I did it today. But really, where are we with us? Where are we with us? We've said all the story of Jonah is culminating to this one question, and that is, will Jonah obey God? And we began to get an answer of it today. But have we actually activated obedience to God fully in our own life? Who is waiting on the other side of our obedience? Now, I'm not getting specific with, any, with anybody today. But there may be some of you who are 
who are feeling God call you, yes, to other nations, to other peoples, to other places. There may be some of you here who are feeling something else specifically from God that he's calling you to obey. And while I'm not going to get specific with that, I do want to say that we as a church want to stand with you in that in hearing God and activating that obedience. Because we all know that we're all called We can be confident in the call to make disciples, preach the gospel, teaching them to obey, being ministers of reconciliation. So I just want to ask, just where we are, not trying to force anything, but where are you with your obedience to God? We've seen where Jonah was, and yet we've seen the grace and effect of of Jonah's obedience to God. So just a couple things that I felt the Lord put on my heart maybe where some people are and if this is if this is where you are I want to pray for you and I want us to sing in a moment from a place of crying out for the name of Jesus but not not just worship but it is but having it come from a heart that is resolved to obey and asking God for the strength to obey I just feel like there's some people today who just want to ask are you listening are you listening to God is the word of the Lord trying to come to you are you in his word? Are you asking him to speak? If not, let's, let's ask him. I want to ask with you today. Maybe some of you have heard God. God's been clear. And you've boarded a ship for Tarshish. <laughs> You're running the other way. And it's not time to wallow in that. It's just time to say, you know what? Let's stop. That's on the before side of obedience. And as we've seen, God can change that. Maybe you're wrestling with what obedience means practically, relationally, what obeying God might cost you because you have an idea of what your life and circumstances and family and everything should look like. And I'm pleased, I'm not saying this lightly. I understand that obedience to God can cost us much. But maybe some of you are in that place today of of wrestling. And if that's the case, let's surrender to a good God. Let's agree on whose will will be done to a good God and maybe some of you today are are excitedly walking in hearing and obeying God and you're making choices that honor him and and correspond to what he's spoken over to you if that's the case then I want to say let's be expectant with faith for all that God can do let's be expectant that he's mighty to save let's can I just say expect of God that's faith and then lastly I just have a sense that if you don't know the Lord Jesus personally as Lord and Savior, then I just want to say the time is now for salvation because God is mighty to save and he's provided his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for our sins, raising him from the dead. He sits on high now with God the Father. And just as we saw with Nineveh, the salvation of the Lord is swift and he's mighty to save. If there's someone who today would like to make that decision today for the first time, I would love to pray with you right now. I'd just love if you would just raise your hand. And I'd just like to pray with you right now. Not going to make a show, but would just love to make that declaration with you. Anyone? You know, there's a great inheritance for the church on the other side of obedience. Will you stand with us for just a minute? Wherever we are in obedience, 
needing to hear, needing to surrender, needing to needing to release the cost, whatever it may be, needing to be expectant. I've asked Shonda to sing just that line again of my heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus. And again, I just want to encourage you, let's just sing that from a place of actual surrender. Yes, worship, but surrender. Can we do that together? Yeah. Thanks for listening to this Church in the City podcast. For more information about our church or to listen to other messages, visit churchinthecity.us.